I was born like my father was in East Tennessee, land of free, home free, spent time as a kid, hills of Carolina, mountains and valleys there, there's no place finer, still my time. Hey guys! Hello! <laughs> this is Sarah. I'm the older cousin. I'm Morgan. I am the younger cousin. And uh, here we are again for another episode. Hey, it's like, it's lucky number seven. Oh my gosh, can you guys hear Relly barking yeah. in the background? Relly's going to be a part of the episode. Oh, he just, oh boy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> lucky number seven. That's exciting. Which is it, funny because most of this episode is going to be about me wow. as a seven-year-old. Yeah. Shit, what do you put in that? That's crazy. Yes. Um, I love it. We, I do too. I, I do love that. Um, we talked about it a little last episode, but like truly Sarah and I, like we'll kind of text and be like, so what do we, what do you want to talk about this week? Uh, what, like, what should we make this episode about? And we truly like don't do any prep for this. Like there's no like us like putting our heads together before. Like it's very much just like, okay, we'll do that. And we don't talk about it until we do it. Well, it's kind of that thing, you know, so many people that are close to us and know us that are like, you guys need to write a book. (laughs) You guys need to like make a movie. You know, we always had a hard time like documenting and trying to spit stuff out because it's all in our heads. Like we can tell it or talk about it but to intentionally do it has been hard so I really like the candidness I like that we're being super authentic and transparent with everyone and and really you know sharing the true story yeah for sure uh and uh just in in the uh spirit of being transparent I me Morgan I'm super anxious about this episode I'm not really sure why but this is like the most anxious I've been for an episode so far uh, I guess we're gonna get into like some heavy stuff definitely trigger warning for domestic violence um I think that's the only trigger warning we really need right yeah yeah so uh so we'll get into it um this story it's not so much a story it's more just kind of like I don't know I guess like my main story kind of the origin story of my trauma, if you will. Um, and I kind of just refer to this as like my second grade because this is kind of when things were really, really bad for me um, at home. So, you know, one thing about being an only child, people are always like, wow, it must be so nice to be an only child. Like, you know, you, you got all the things you didn't have to share. You got your parents' attention, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm always like, I don't know, that never resonated with me because like, sure, like, yes, I never had to share anything. And like, I got, you know, whatever I wanted, pretty much all that's great. But when you have a really traumatic childhood, it's really fucking hard to be an only child. Because um, I mean, you're, you're just really going through it by yourself. Um, so that was hard. I mean, I was in second grade. And that's kind of, I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like my brain has like forgotten a lot of this stuff or just kind of like, it's hard for me to like remember a lot that happened other than like some really truly a thing. When I was early adulthood and I was like, wow, I can't remember so many things. Even my siblings would be talking about something and I'm like, I really can't recall that. I started thinking I had early onset like Alzheimer's legit (laughs) because there's so many chunks of my life that I can't recall or remember. And as Morgan and I have continued the journey to try to support our mental health and be healthy, you know, as healthy as we can be, we realized, no, actually, that's a trauma response. Your mind actually kind of blocks it out. And that's why a lot of the therapies that are popular today came about to help you recall, because if you can't remember it, you can't deal with it. So then you can't move on. So then you have these emotions and feelings and responses that are unexplainable so yeah which is I mean it's it's crazy it's very much yeah your brain protecting you and you know there I I know someone personally who like 
just realized, you know, very much as an adult that, you know, they were sexually assaulted as a child. And it was a memory that they had totally repressed, like up until just recently. And it's just, it's incredible how the human brain works. Um, and the fact that we have that like protective mechanism, um, but yeah, so a lot of this, you know, I don't really remember, but I had a really great therapy session yesterday. And, you know, like I mentioned a few episodes ago, this is, you know, a new therapist, the one with the British accent. Yes, mm-hmm. we love her. Um, and, you know, I'm like simultaneously like kind of talking about like going through a breakup and then kind of talking about like some negative stuff that happened when I was, you know, at home last with my mom and with family. And so she's very much like getting current stuff and then also you know the background which is like what we both have to do with therapists like there's so Mm -hmm. much background but then still so much trauma still happening that like you kind of have to just slowly introduce like both of them simultaneously and so I I told her I gave her kind of the the overview of what I'm about to get into and every therapist I've ever said or ever had always says this to me she she was like wow like I can't believe you went through all of that like you should be really proud of yourself like for how far you've made it. And <laughs> I'm getting yeah. emotional. I always get emotional when a therapist says that to me. I don't I don't know why, but I'm always like, yeah, you're right. Like it was really hard and I've worked really hard to be okay. You know, like they're always shocked. They're like you're doing so well in life for like what you've been through. Um so so we had that conversation yesterday and you know, I got emotional, but yeah, basically my second grade um when I was about 7ish my parents were physically fighting every night. I mean, my mom was heavily drinking. I don't even know what they were fighting about. Like I was trying to think about this, like think about like why they were fighting. And I don't know. I mean, I guess my little second grade brain just, you know, didn't know why and what they were saying or whatever, but it was very much like them, you know, running towards each other, you know, hitting pushing, choking, grabbing, and me trying to physically put myself in between them, physically pull them apart, um, calling the cops, you know, being a little second year old, second grade, you know, child, tiny little child, like picking up the phone to call 911 and threatening them saying like, if you guys don't stop, I'm going to call the cops. And, and a few times I did. Um, I mean, it was just, it was extremely violent. Like I have, I have a like, you know, very vivid memory of my dad dragging my mom by her legs across the floor. And I have very vivid memories of, you know, my mom punching my dad in the head and um, just like a lot of violence. Um, Oftentimes things got broken and, you know, there were times when guns were involved or guns were threatened. And I mean, it was just like truly like such a horrifying, scary time. And I was so little. Um, and the hard part about it is, yeah, like I I was only seven. And I mean, Sarah, like you were still a child too, you know, an adolescent. Um, a lot of time, like during this time, like you couldn't drive, you know, and, and truly, I don't think anyone knew what was going on. Like, I, I don't know. I think maybe your parents had an idea and yeah. both of our grandparents had an idea, like my dad's parents as well. Yeah, there were definitely times um, and even leading up to this age where my parents would go and intervene because yeah. they were very physical, very toxic. Um, it was very scary. And there had been bouts of physical, you know, domestic abuse throughout the history of their relationship that was really, I mean, it was serious stuff. And I felt so much shame. I remember I had a little best friend who lived across the street in my neighborhood. Um, We would ride together to school every day. We basically had like a babysitter who would take us to school every day and then like babysit us after school every day who like all lived in the neighborhood and you know I remember one time my my little best friend who I mean she was my first friend we were very close we spent so much time together because we literally lived across the street I remember one morning before like you know it's getting ready to go to school and she said hey I heard screaming last night at your house what was what was going on and I just remember like immediately feeling like overwhelming embarrassment and I lied I made up some story about I think I said like, oh, the cat was lost. Like, I don't, maybe it wasn't even a cat. I made up some story about an animal, like the dog got out and we were yelling for the dog or something. 
when it was just like very clear that like the screaming was not a a lost animal or, or something, you know, but I felt so much shame. And I mean, even I remember even seeing you, Sarah, and like not feeling comfortable. And it's not because we weren't close or anything, but just like I I didn't like really transparently share like or acknowledge like, yeah, this is what I went through. I think until I was like well into my late teenage years. Right. Um, just because like I yeah, there was so much shame, like to the point where like at family gatherings, you know, when my mom wouldn't be sober or my parents would be arguing, I would feel like I needed to like defend my mom or like make excuses for them or like try to hide it or cover it up. Um, which is crazy, you know, now, cause as an adult, I'm like, none of this was my fault. Like I, you know, this, this was something that had nothing to do with me and I had no reason to feel ashamed. Um, I remember I had, um, a best friend, if she's listening to this, she'll, she'll know who, who she is. Um, when, in like middle, late middle school, early high school, and we both lifeguarded together. And I remember her being the first friend that I was finally going to share like what was happening at home. Because when this all started when I was in second grade, but it it continued like the same level of violence continued. And it only got worse at certain periods well into high school. Um, and I remember sharing with her, I was probably 15 or 16. No, I think I was 15. I don't think I could even drive. I remember we were lifeguarding together and we had planned to hang out afterwards, like after the pool closed and we ordered pizza and everything. And I told her prior to like our plans, I was like, Hey, I need to talk to you about something. And she was like, okay, you know, whatever. (laughs) And she was the first friend that I shared with like, Hey, this is what's happening at home. And I made it this like huge dramatic event, you know, where I like (laughs) told her prior and everything. And I was like, okay, I've got to tell you, you know, and, and I mean, she was super receptive and, you know, thank God that was that like kind of opened up a a place for me to be like, okay, like I can, I can share this with people and, and it's okay. And it's not my fault. Um, But even like, I remember having like sleepovers, I wouldn't have friends over to my house often, but if I did, like, you know, I always had to make up a lie as to like why my parents slept in separate rooms. You know, I had this great lie of like, oh, my dad snores and he wakes up extra early. So like, you know, it keeps my mom up. So they just do separate rooms, you know, but like we're this perfect, happy family, (laughs) which was not the case at all. Um, But things got really, so second grade was also when my parents legally divorced. Um, and that's where I truly have no memory. Um, I have one memory of my dad bringing me home to my mom and, you know, he was staying at his mom's during that time. And I just remember my mom wasn't sober. And, you know, at that young age, like I very much had an understanding of, I had one mom in the morning and then in the evenings, it was a different mom. And i I felt unsafe. I did not like being around that, you know, evening mom. Um, cause I knew, like, I knew there was something different, you know, I didn't know necessarily like what alcohol, what, or, you know, I didn't fully understand it, but I knew that, you know, she was going to be different. And I remember being so upset and begging my dad to just come inside with me and just stay at home with me. Like I could not understand why he, he, you know, wouldn't just like stay there and why he had to like leave. Um, but I don't know how long they were separated. I have no memory of it other than that. Like, I don't know if you have a better memory than I do about yeah, their separation. I, I really, I can't remember how long it was. I want to say that it wasn't that long, like maybe in the realm no. of like six, six months. Because, yeah, I think that's right. You know, just living circumstances. I think that your dad was finally like, well, I'm coming back to my house, basically. And also, you know, wanting to protect you. And I think during that time, there were several instances where your mom was going out and drinking and maybe not coming home, you know, those types of behaviors. Cause obviously yep. she was trying to trigger your dad and right. obviously that, you know, created instability for you at home. But yeah, the, there were a lot of times when my family, my, my mom and stepdad would go over to intervene or like defuse the situation I even remember us going on like trips when you were little and they would get into it and it would turn into this just like horrific thing. Honestly, um, I know that, you know, it kind of exploded this year of your second grade. But even before that, I remember their violence with each other being so problem that when I went to my first therapist at like age 11, that was one of the first things I talked about 
because I was so worried that they were going to murder each other or that you were going to get hurt, you know? And so it, it had been really bad for a while. And again, like I had, you know, some domestic violence happening at my home as well. And it was always something that you didn't talk about. It was always something that you hid and made excuses for. And I don't really know where that comes in, but I do know now that kind of the wanting to control and and wanting to be there to make sure that nothing bad happened is pretty much a a trauma response. Like you as a child, even from being a toddler, you were very insecure. You kept a pacifier for much longer than you're supposed to. (laughs) Um, It was really hard to get you to stay away from your home. And, you know, that like homesick feeling, which I still get that feeling now as an adult when things are not going well. And I think it's funny because you kind of established that's what that feeling is. It's sort of like a homesick feeling, but I think it also has to do with just being out of control and scared. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, That's exactly right. And that feeling, I can just recognize it so clearly. I mean, I would, I would try to go to sleepovers you know, well into like late high school and I could never stay all night. I would have to call my parents to come pick me up um, because I felt this like overwhelming, what I call homesickness. And I've, I've said this a lot to you, Sarah, recently is like, especially like going through a breakup. It's that like same feeling. It's not homesickness. Like I need to identify it better, but that's the only way I know how to identify. It's like overwhelming sadness and anxiety together, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't be away from home because I was so scared of what would happen. I mean, I genuinely like thought one of my parents would kill the other. Um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I slept with my mom up until well into middle school, which is not normal. Um, I mean, co-sleeping is great, whatever. There's all kinds of articles about, you know, how it, it can be a good thing, whatever works for your kids and your family, if you're a parent. But I mean, it was very much like, I mean, I had, I had reoccurring dreams every single night uh, around this time in, in second grade when I was really young about not being able to find my mom, just like a reoccurring nightmare. Um, and so this is, this kind of goes into when I, started to um I had this reoccurring nightmare and I was I started talking about it with my with my parents and with my mom and I also told them that I I couldn't catch my breath so especially at night like I felt like I couldn't like fully catch my breath or like fully um get like a deep breath and so I told my parents this and they were like oh my gosh you know and they started taking me to the doctors and I don't know I mean (laughs) I think there's a lot more uh, research and just literature and information out there now with childhood trauma, but truly not one of these doctors thought to think like and ask like, hey, what's going on at home or anything. And I mean, I don't know if they looked at my parents and thought, you know, these are respectable people, like surely, you know, clearly they're caring parents because my mom was, I mean, she was, both my parents love me very much and, um, you know, I'll get into a, a disclaimer later. Like they're not perfect, obviously, as as we're as I'm telling this. Um, but like, you know, I was very much cared for. Um, so I'm sure, you know, any pediatrician is going to be like, is not even going to think to question like what's going on at this kid's home. Um, but they started running all these tests on me. They checked my blood, and I had an insanely low white blood cell count like an alarming one. And so they started sending me to specialists, sent me to every specialist possible to figure out why I had this insanely low white blood cell count and why I couldn't catch my breath. Um, And basically (laughs) after going to every doctor, they sent me to a heart doctor. I I know these aren't the technical terms. They sent me to a heart doctor, a lung doctor, uh, a blood doctor, just like truly we spent so many, we went to so many appointments, so much time. Uh, and the conclusion was, oh, she has asthma. And so here's an inhaler. And also she just is, you know, one in a million rare people who lives with an extremely low white blood cell count. And that was the answer. And I, I mean, I took that with me for a long time until like we spoke about in our intro episode until I, I mean, I was working in homelessness services and in social services and kind of learning about um, ACEs and childhood trauma and how it affects you. And Brene Brown actually did, if anyone's familiar with her, she has a Ted talk about how children who were going through trauma, especially in this time, like in the late nineties, early two thousands, so many of them were diagnosed with asthma 
when it was actually like severe anxiety. Like none of them actually really had asthma. I definitely, I don't have asthma. I've never had asthma. I played sports my entire life, played soccer, never had any problem. I was just like under extreme stress uh, and couldn't catch my breath because of the extreme anxiety of like what was going on in front of me every single night. Um, which is just like insane. I mean, in the white blood cell count, I tried to do some research last night and it sounds like just from a quick Google search, the extreme anxiety or stress or depression can cause either an elevated white blood cell count or sometimes a low white blood cell count. I mean, I guess everybody is different and stress truly can just do crazy shit to the body. But, um, that was like such a light bulb when I was learning all of that in my first job of like, holy shit. I never had asthma. Like I, it's just wild. Yeah. It's crazy. I went through that too. And our Nana's response was getting me this box set of tapes to deal with anxiety and depression. And it would like teach you breathing like mechanisms and stuff. And it's like, how about we just address what's going on here? Like, oh, did you listen to your tapes? Like, are you able to not have a panic attack now? You know, it's crazy. And it was really scary. Morgan was a very petite child. And I just remember um, she's always had fair skin. But I mean, she was really pale during this time with what her body was going through. And I just remember, you know, Morgan's sick. We don't know what's wrong. She's missing school. You know, like it might be leukemia. Like basically they were looking for like an answer, any answer. And it was really scary because nobody could figure out what was going on with her. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember um, just a couple of other things that stand out. Also medically, same year I got mono, um, which is kind of, I feel like it's usually rare for children that young to get mono. I could be wrong on that. Yeah, Yeah, it is. And it's like, oh, maybe I got mono and was out of school for two weeks because my immune system was fucked up from the extreme trauma (laughs) I was experiencing every single night. Um, And it's not like, I mean, you think about just like general health, like uh, so seven, seven, eight years old, watching my parents, you know, almost kill each other, you know, physically violent towards each other. And then it's like that wraps up, you know, I don't know what time it wrapped up because I didn't care about time then. But it's like, okay, now I go to sleep. And it's like, no, what kid can go to sleep after that? So it's like, I, there's no well, no way I was well at that time. Yeah. <laughs> like, no shit, I got mono and was out of school for two weeks. But another standout memory is so that across the street, best friend, she had a big sister. I don't remember how big her, how much older her big sister was, but like she was a good bit older. Um, and I remember she had told me that the teacher that I got for second grade was really mean. And apparently she had broken a kid's arm by pushing the kid off of a tire swing. And it was like, (laughs) she painted this like horrifying picture of this teacher to me. And I feel like, I don't know, maybe an average second grader would have been like, oh, that's scary, you know, whatever. But I don't know. It's my teacher. I'm going to figure it out. I don't know. I was like, horrified. And I mean, I'm I'm sure it was related to my intense anxiety from what was going on at home. And I just remember I, my first day of second grade, when I was supposed to go into class with this new teacher, I threw an absolute fit, like a, like a toddler would. Cause I mean, second grade, like you're not a baby anymore. And I physically held on to my mom and screamed and cried. And my, like, I, I couldn't make it through the first day of school. My mom had, she didn't even I I couldn't, I would not physically let go of her. I was screaming and crying and just was like inconsolable, just like a a complete mess. And I remember afterwards, like after my mom took me out of the classroom and we went back home, I remember being so embarrassed because I had friends, you know what I mean? And I remember like there was this, uh, this one guy that I, like, I, I even know now we follow each other on social media. I had a crush on him at that time. I remember him being in that class and seeing me. And I would just remember like afterwards being so insanely embarrassed, but like, my anxiety, just like I was not going to be left in that classroom that day, which is like not a normal response. I don't think from a kid who isn't experiencing like that level of violence and trauma every single night. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, it's funny. I had like the opposite effect. I stayed with people all of the time. Like I always (laughs) stayed away from my house. And since we've started this, I had a, a really close friend reach out and she was like, 
I realized you're at our house all the time. I thought it was just because your mom had a drinking problem. <laughs> I didn't know it was this bad, but I can, I can remember very specific friends that I would stay at their house, like incessantly, you know, yeah. and I think that their parents kind of knew, you know, there was some stuff going on with my mom specifically, but you know, things that weren't healthy. And, you know, unfortunately there was the domestic violence at my home as well. I did have siblings. It was still very scary. And it was always, I mean, they would like unplug the phones so we couldn't call for help <laughs> and make us go upstairs to have it out, you know? And it's just like that feeling of not seeing or knowing if they're okay or what's going on and hearing it from upstairs, like physical altercations make me very uncomfortable and oh, yeah. I'm sure that it ties back to that but can we talk a little bit about objects so <laughs> we had a really loose conversation not long ago and realized that there's some common themes so there were certain things in my childhood home that would get broken every time there was an altercation <laughs> and what if those things were remote controls for the TVs? Yeah. <laughs> they would throw them down and stomp them. I guess to get at each other and be like, well, you can't watch TV now. I don't know. But it affected the <laughs> entire home and it would make me very sad. Yeah. No, absolutely. I remember one time my mom broke this uh, handmade, my, my dad's mom, uh, she's kind of an artist. And so she like, she paints and, you know, makes pottery and sculptures and stuff. I remember my mom purposely shattered the sculpture that my dad's mom had made for her. And then she picked up the phone to call her and tell her that she broke it and hung up on her. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is, why? What is this? What just happened? This is our stuff. Stop it. Like we went yes. through so many remote controls. Like I can program a universal remote control like a champ to this day <laughs> because we went through so many remote controls. God, it's like you're hurting the whole family when you break the remote control. <laughs> we started watched... getting smart. We would start gathering up certain objects before we went upstairs <laughs> in the remotes. You better believe we're one of them. <laughs> That is smart. You're like, oh shit, it's happening. Let's grab the the item. It's like the um the question of people are like, if you could only bring four objects to an, a deserted island, what would you grab? And you're like, I know the answer to this because I've been through a similar situation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I fucking watched my mom. My dad's a huge golfer. I watched my mom snap golf clubs over her leg. And I did not know you could fucking break those things. It sliced her leg open and she was bleeding from the metal, but she fucking just snapped that thing over her leg. And I was like, oh, well. More than one, know you right? could break them. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, that was like my dad's like his main hobby. So, she, yeah, she had to hit him where it hurts. Oh, yeah, that's deep. He loves golf still to this day and to take some expensive ass drivers and be like well fuck you and break it over your leg like yep. I have a memory of your mom and it wasn't domestic related but when Morgan <laughs> was an infant I was over at one of their houses I think she was an infant it was the house right before the house when you were real little so I'm not sure if you were born yet but there was a snake it was a very long drive way and it was like there was like a field and so the edge of the driveway had like real tall grass and stuff and me and one or two of my brothers was there because it was a park that we had walked in we're walking back and there was a snake and so i get back there and i'm like auntie there's a snake outside in the beside the driveway she's like what she goes and gets a golf club and let me just tell you that bitch found that snake and beat it to death with the golf club i will never forget that memory i was so shook i was just like just run away from the snake. No, we had to deal with the snake and take care of it. Which is kind of horrifying because, <laughs> I mean, I've seen that. I know what house you're talking about. Like, my dad has, like, driven me by it before. Like, he, he had a motorcycle, so, like, we would go on long rides. That house is in the country. Mm -hmm. So, like, you're kind of in their home. If the snake is outside, <laughs> just, like, let it crawl back into the fucking acres of land behind you. Yeah. The fact that she went and got a golf club and beat it to death is like alarming. Maybe she needed to get some shit out. She did. I promise. I mean, <laughs> I was at Red Rocks a few weeks ago and there was a rattlesnake that went across the walking path, like the 
cement ramps that go up. Did anybody mess with that snake? Hell no. We let it no. go its own little way, its <laughs> little tail, and then we passed afterwards. Yeah, no, that's fucking horrifying. Just beating the snake to death. Like, that's telling. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> she is a very aggressive woman, and I've seen She's it scary. firsthand. <laughs> scary as shit. Well, and, you know, we've talked about this before. Like, so, you know, obviously as a kid, you know, the physical altercations were happening between my parents every night, whatever. As I got older, you know, my mom and I, like I mentioned before, like our relationship really declined when I was a teenager, essentially, because I've always been like very passionate, very outspoken, very blunt. And then you add being a teenager. I mean, I just, I would run my mouth all the time. And I'm also, I'm pretty smart too. And so I'm really good at making <laughs> arguments and, you know, I would call her out. I would be like, you're an alcoholic, you know, whatever. And we would, so we constantly argued. Um, and the physical altercations oftentimes were between her and I, and I mean, yeah, things, things would get bad. Uh, and I will regularly have nightmares to this day about my mom chasing, like running from my mom mm -hmm. because she's fucking scary. Like she is, she can be very scary. Yes. She can. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, yeah. So um, I remember cause like as a child, you were really meek and soft-spoken and I remember when you kind of came into your own and got your voice, like as an early teen. And I was like, who is this? Like, <laughs> what? Like, she is outspoken as hell. Like, she is tired of being quiet. She's going to let you know what's up. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm going to call you out on your bullshit, which, you know, I've had to really dial that back and find a perfect balance <laughs> as I've gotten older. Because, you know, sometimes people don't want to hear my opinion and sometimes they don't want to be called out on their shit. And sometimes, you know, my way and my opinion is not the only right one. <laughs> Right. And that's been some lessons that I've had to learn for sure. But but another thing I wanted to touch on, um, just because it was in my really good therapy session yesterday, and it's something we've talked about a lot, is the guilt that we feel. Um, and I, another, uh, just two more, um, like, standout memories from, like, this time when I was in second grade. One, um, just a little, just this is just a side one before I get into the guilt, but I remember specifically playing with my stuffed animals because, again, I was a little small child playing with my toys and I was um, sitting, like, I, I remember exactly where I was and everything. I remember having this thought of, like, my parents were starting to argue. I remember thinking, you know, gosh, it would just be easier if I was just in heaven and not here dealing with this stuff. And I remember, like, getting older and being like, Oh, wow. Like that was like a suicidal ideation that I had as like a seven year old child because like things were so bad. And I didn't even, and like, you know, I, and it's okay if, if you have or anyone you know have. I've, I've never had suicidal ideations as an adult, um, luckily. Uh, but just sort of like thinking that like as a child, like having that thought at such a young age, like that's some heavy shit. Um, and then, you know, related. I remember very specifically as a young child during all of this time, my mom telling me, like, I remember her crying after a fight with my dad and her telling me, you're the only reason I'm, I'm, I, I want to live. Mm -hmm. Um, and that fucking stuck with me. And, you know, I've, I've mentioned you know, in the last few episodes that my mom were, and I are in a really good place, the best place that we've ever been. And, you know, when we were talking, when we were in a good place, you know, probably a couple of months ago, she she said again, um, I'm so glad we're talking again, you know, there for a little while, you know, when we weren't talking, I just didn't think I wanted to be here anymore. Um, she was like, I didn't think that you loved me and I just didn't want to be here anymore. And it's like, fuck, dude. And, and, you know, my dad has said similar things before, too. He said, you know, you're you know, if, I, if you weren't here, if I didn't have you, I don't know that I'd want to be here. Um, and as you guys know, uh, we have dealt with suicide firsthand. Um, and that is such a heavy burden to lay on a child, even if you mention it as an adult, like, and especially being an only child, like feeling like I am responsible for my both of my parents' life and, and, and then being a kid too and, and worrying if I'm not there to intervene, are they going to literally kill each other? And that's, that's happened as an adult too. You know, they've had extreme physical altercations as an adult where I'm like, fuck, I'm 
I'm 500 miles away and I'm not there to intervene. You know, I remember there was an incident last summer where my mom was pulling a knife on my dad. And I was like, I, I'm so far away from this. And I, I don't know what's reasonable in terms of boundaries, but like, I very much feel responsible um, for their lives in, in multiple ways. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, last, last time I was in town for Thanksgiving, um, I think I'd mentioned like my mom is drinking again, unfortunately, and we had a really bad argument and we're now no longer talking, uh, which sucks um, because I do. I miss my mom and I've been thinking about it, you know, every day since and I sent her, you know, a text message after the argument, uh, you know, after I drove what was supposed to be eight hours, but Thanksgiving traffic made it 11 hours. (laughs) I had plenty of time to think on that drive. And, you know, I sent her a text that said, a lot of things of just like, you know, your drinking hurts me and I want more than anything to have a relationship with you. But, you know, if, if you're not willing to, you know, address some of these things in your life, I, I don't know that we can have a healthy relationship. Um, and, you know, I even told her in the text, I said, you know, so much as you've gone through so much, like you've been through so much and, you know, that's not your fault, but it, but it is your responsibility to heal. And that's something that, you know, Sarah and I say a lot too, is like, you're, what happened to you is not your fault, but yeah, it, it's your responsibility to heal from it. Um, and she never responded to the text. And unfortunately, Sarah's mom is back in the hospital, <laughs> which is, and our, our grandmother is and too. Our um, yeah. Not yeah. the same hospital this time. It's been <laughs> a rough week since they y'all. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it has. what sucks is, you know, Morgan and I will try to be healthy with our moms. We want nothing more than the thought of having a, a good relationship and, and loving, you know, the good parts of them um, and the bad parts to an extent. But it's like, getting gaslighted because Morgan's mom will be like, oh, well, she said she never wanted to talk to me again. And it's like, that's the furthest from the truth. I've seen the text. And then things have just continued to bubble up with stress with, you know, this is Morgan's mom who's mother that she lives with is in the hospital and her sister is in the hospital and so she's coping you know with substances and then getting hateful so the next thing you know Morgan and I are getting hateful text and then hateful group text so it's just like been this whole saga of like toxic and she's real nasty she'll pull out all the stunts to make you try so hard to feel like a piece of shit Um, she's so mean sucks because you know there have definitely been some nosedives since Morgan really reconnected with her mother this year that this nosedive has been significant and we know it's a bumpy road but to have that growth and connection and then basically be rejected again by your parent (laughs) over and over and over again it's a feeling that Unless you've experienced it, I don't think you can describe. It is worse than any breakup or, you know, romantic partner, you know, tragedy, like, is the worst feeling possible. And and it's like, you can never get rid of that, I'm not good enough feeling. Why does my own mother who, you know, carried me and birthed me and raised me, like, not love me? Yeah, no, I would, I would take a man not responding to my text over my mom any fucking day. Um, Yeah, and it sucks. It sucks. Like, it sucks that we were able to, like, really connect probably for the first time, you know, since I've been an adult and then to, again, not be speaking again. Um, And for my mental health. And, you know, I, I was talking with my therapist about it and I was like, I don't know what's right. Like, I don't like I if I'm not talking to her, I feel guilt because I feel responsible for her life. And especially the last thing that she told me, like, I feel like if I'm if I'm not talking with her, like, then is she, you know, is she going to commit suicide? Like, I genuinely worry about that um, and missing her. But then at the same time, it's like, okay, well, if I just let her treat me terribly and allow access, you know, to me, is that just enabling her behavior? You know, so I, I don't know what the right answer is. I know space right now is is what's best for me. But my therapist said a really great thing. She said, the guilt that you feel, she said, it isn't justified. She said, when you're feeling guilt, you have to sit down and, and think, like, is this justified? Um, and I don't know, that was like an enlightening thing for me because it's like, wait, yeah, this guilt that I feel, 
of like not talking to my mom because she treated me terribly and has treated me terribly um, because I feel like she's, you know, not going to be okay without me. Like, yeah, that's actually not justified because we aren't responsible for, you know, other adults. Yeah. And it, it is hard to process and not feel it. I wish I could make myself not feel the guilt. Um, and, you know, kind of back to what you said, Morgan, about space and, and things like that, like my psychologist or psychiatrist who I love, who I wish did therapy because I would <laughs> love to see him on a regular basis. He once said to me, boundaries are for you. So like when I was growing up and dealing with, you know, very negative ed- situations with family members experiencing active addiction always thought okay well I'll just cut them off for them and then if they hit rock bottom and realize what they did they'll get better I'm doing this for them it's the furthest from the truth that's never going to affect that person they don't care especially when they're actively using that is like it's not going to affect them in that way the boundary is for you in your space in your mental health And that's what the boundary is for. Yeah. When you told me that one, that one stuck with me because yeah, it often feels like, okay, I'm going to put this boundary there to help change this person. But it's like, that's an even bigger drain on your own mental health. Um, So yeah, that was such a good nugget that I, I use often that stuck with me. Uh, Boundaries are are for you, not the other person. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. Um, Man, this one's been heavy. Um, I, I, I do want to like kind of wrap this up with like, I, I know we've like, we've shared, you know, some really heavy stuff, some very vulnerable stuff. Um, but I just like, I want you guys to know that like one, you aren't your trauma, you know, um, and, and, and Sarah and I are not like, we are not our trauma. Like I, I have like such a beautiful life. Like truly every morning I wake up and I do my gratitude journaling and like I am overwhelmed by the things that I'm grateful for. Like in so many ways, my life is more than I ever dreamt it would be truly. Um, So like I want you guys to know that like one, we're okay. Um, And we have really beautiful lives and like, you know, going through this kind of stuff, like it it doesn't have to define you. it, it makes you who you are. Absolutely. And like the hurt and the, the pain that we've been through, like it, I feel very strongly that it's, you know, given me an empathy that I wouldn't otherwise have. Um, and I truly do believe sharing like this is, is what allows us to connect and feel empathy with each other. And, you know, that's, that's why we're here to like feel less alone. Um, but like, you don't have to be healing every day by any means, you know, um, I, I just, yeah, I, I, I want you guys to know that like whatever you've been through, like it, it doesn't define you. It's not who you are and you don't have to be healing every single day. Like you get to live your life and not think about your trauma every day. Uh, does that make sense? <laughs> it does. And, you know, also it's, it is still embarrassing. Like, I still feel shame. I still struggle to let my peers at work know, hey, I have two, my my two closest family members are in the hospital, you know, like, I just don't even want to talk about it. It's happened so many times this past year and to get into it is just so deep. And I just, it's like, they don't want to know. You know, and and I do feel that shame about it still. It feels like your your fault, your own baggage. But what I really hope for this to do is to help create a community that understands that it's not your fault. It's not your baggage. You know, people can go through stuff like this and come out a strong person and, you know, have an average life and, you know, not let it completely take over your life. Like I want to normalize being able to share basically being a victim of things without someone judging you or wanting to decide what you can and can't do or viewing you as broken because that's what I have always struggled with. I still struggle with it. Yeah. Well said. Um, Yeah. So that's, that's our goal and our hope. Like, you know, 
you never want someone to like feel sorry for you. And like, that is by no means like the purpose of this. Um, because like our therapists tell us, it's incredible, you know, how far we've come. Like we don't, we don't feel sorry for ourselves. And, you know, if you've been through similar things, like I'm sure you feel the same. Like it's, this isn't like, I feel sorry for myself. It's like, yeah, we want to like get rid of the shame. We want to get past the guilt. Like we want to normalize this stuff. We, we don't want people to feel like they have to, like, I, I was thinking last night about this episode and thinking about like how much energy I had to put, you know, as a kid. And it's like, you're already like, you know, I was doing sports. I was trying to have a social life and, you know, trying to make good grades, all the things I had to put so much extra energy into pretending and lying and acting like everything was okay. Acting like I was okay. Making sure I was keeping up with the lies about how, you know, my life was normal. Everything was okay between my parents, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's so much energy. And, you know, even thinking about like some of the relationships I've been in, like the the one I mentioned where I, I got really, I lost a lot of weight and it was, you know, a really anxious relationship. Like I spent a lot of energy doing the same thing of like trying to pretend like it was okay, trying to make it okay you know, make sure other people thought it was okay. And it's just like, that energy is like, we should never have to do that. Like you should never have to lie about things and feel like you have to put on a facade to, to act like things are perfect. Like that's part of why we feel very strongly about like normalizing, sharing these conversations. And I do want to say, obviously you should never just dump heavy shit on people. Yeah. Read the room. Like it's a very kind thing if you're going to share something to, you know, make sure that person that you're sharing to like is in a space to hold that space. Um, Because if they're having a hard time too, like, and you just dump some heavy shit on them, like that could really not be good for them. So like, obviously don't go around just like dumping, you know, on people. Like, obviously there's some, some consideration for who you're sharing to, but, but yeah, like having to feel like you can't, talk about what happened to you or, or talk about, or just be honest about like the things that you're going through or the things that you've been through. Like, oh, just thinking about all the energy I've wasted just like breaks my heart for like little Morgan, you know? Yeah. And it is, it, I love being able to be in a space and with a community where I'm transparent and I'm like, you know what? I've been depressed as hell <laughs> the last <laughs> few weeks. Like I'm still getting what I need to get done, but it's been hard, you know, and, and that's okay. You know, like I struggle with things. I'm, I'm trying to do positive things to improve my mental health and, you know, keep moving forward. But I also often struggled with kind of like trauma bonding, like we talked about before. It's like, oh, I meet someone who I'm interested in. And it's like, wait, let me tell you how broken I am first. You know, it's like, it's like you don't want to get re-injured by telling those stories too far in if the person's like deuces, because that's the thing. (laughs) I mean, people who had an ordinary average life that was mostly healthy, you know, when they hear people who came from situations where their childhood was traumatic, I think it is scary to them, a lot of them, um, that that just aren't educated or don't know, um, you know, because the, maybe they haven't had to address mental health issues before. Um, so I'm trying really hard to not do that. And, you know, oftentimes I would also use it to connect with people like, Oh, you have a hard time? Well, let me just tell you, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) it'll be okay. Let me make you feel better about your life. And I'm, I'm really trying to not lead with that, that stuff. And at the same time, also trying to raise the stigma of being able to be honest about what's going on in my life. And, you know, I'm having bad days. There's a lot of stuff going on in Morgan and ours family right now with health and, both physical and mental. And it is hard. It does make your days harder. It makes your task harder. It makes being a professional harder. But, you know, I think that completely hiding it the way that we've done our whole lives is not the answer. I would love to hear more from you guys on your experiences. Maybe someone who does have a better answer for it. Um, What is that balance where you're not hiding and pretending, but also not oversharing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a fine balance. Um, and, and then to even add to the complexity of the balance is like toxic positivity of like, 
well, you know, just be positive. It could always be worse, you know, and it's like, okay, well, that's not helpful either. If, you know, you know, you're genuinely depressed or, you know, upset about something, just telling someone to be positive or even telling yourself, like, just be positive. And I think I've probably been guilty of that at times. Um, Like, that's not helpful either. So it's like, there's a very fine balance of, of not oversharing, of not being you know, toxic positivity and, and all the things. It's funny, actually, there was a former leader that came to my corporate office and someone grabbed their phone and put me on FaceTime to say hi last week. And the person goes, are you always happy all the time still? And I go, well, I sure do fake it. <laughs> like, no, I I want to uplift people and make them feel better about their day but a lot of times it's fake because I'm struggling with some other stuff behind the scenes that I'm not talking about (laughs) exactly exactly so I think in conclusion um we don't know the answers but we're trying and you know we we do what we do know is that like you know breaking the stigma breaking cycles of trauma um, and working to heal from this stuff is is what matters. And we feel very strongly about having a community here. And just like, thank you guys so much for listening. I mean, truly, like this is like, as you've heard in the episodes, like we're having like breakthroughs just as we talk through stuff. And this is heavy stuff. Like we're, we're crying sometimes. And just that you guys are like still along on this journey, like truly means so, so very much. I'm, you know, adding it to my gratitude journal every morning. (laughs) And I'm trying real hard. Um, We're all trying real hard to work on getting our stuff cleaned up so we can actually expand the social footprint and connect with more of you. Um, But you guys know (laughs) at this point, like why we struggle so much (laughs) to get it done. Um, But we're getting there. It's going to happen. And, you know, I can't wait to have, you know, for our community to continue to grow and to be able to connect and, you know, help support and validate each other exactly um i i think it was the last episode i I gave us a hard deadline of by christmas um and you're visiting in like a little over a week so we'll we'll get it together don't you worry guys we're trying Um, exactly we're doing our best um but yeah no thank you guys so much for listening and, and letting us share so vulnerably um we love you so much reach out to us uh, our email familytraumapod at gmail.com social media family trauma pod dm us share share your stories whatever um Sarah, you can say your little. Yeah, and I can't remember it at this point, but it's like, you know, take time for yourself, respect yourself, you know, take care of your mental health. Love you guys. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye.